You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. We all saw the trees. Many trees across the landscape, but our eyes, they focused on the one that he pointed out. A lonely fig tree that stood on its own, a leaves reminder of our own humanity. The leaves that covered Adam and Eve in the garden, a, a tree cursed by Jesus himself. And yet we could see it standing there amongst the others. As soon as they come out, out and leaf, you'll see for yourself. Look. Look for yourselves and know that, that summer is already near. Well, you know, it, 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 seemed, it seemed like an obvious thing to state. The weather was turning warmer, leaves beginning to grow, summer was almost here, and yet we could see it, but we really couldn't see it. What was Jesus trying to say? What point was he trying to make? When you see these things take place, you'll know. You'll know then that the kingdom of God is near. What? This was too much for us. He told us about the temple in Jerusalem falling. He told us about the Son of Man returning. And now the kingdom of God is near? I mean, we all, we all kind of thought Jesus was, was going to make us powerful and wealthy men. Truly. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and the earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Oh, we could, we could see it, but we just couldn't see it. We gave up everything to follow him. This was supposed to be worth it. We, like we thought things would, would get better for us, and now he's talking about destruction? Now Jesus is talking about the earth passing away. Now he's talking about the heavens passing away. We gave up everything to follow him. So let me be honest. You know, I'm a little worried. It's the story of Luke 21, 29 through 33. It's the parable of the fig tree. And to be fair, the Bible never says that the disciples were anxious in that moment. But I believe the evidence is strong. The warning we'll look at is strong. The actions of the disciples when Jesus is arrested is concerning. So how? Like, how could the end of all things keep us from being so anxious? I mean, that to me um, just seems to rub up against my nerves. I've got things to worry about. We've got kids to raise. We've got a house to maintain. We've got medical bills to pay. We've got expensive groceries to buy. We've got a check engine light that we keep ignoring. We've got work drama to manage. We've got friends and family relationships to juggle. So how could the end of all things be what my anxious heart needs to hear today? How can the passing away 
of heaven and earth be exactly what the doctor ordered for my overly emotional soul? And friends, Luke 21 will give us that answer. And really not just the answer, but also the practical steps to live out that answer. So let me show us from God's word. We'll be in Luke 21. If you have a digital Bible, I'll be reading out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it's all there, and then everything else will be on the TVs. But before we study the passage, let's pray together. God, we come before you, and, and this is not a transitional prayer. Uh, God, this is not um, some filler prayer. This is our weekly prayer of dependence upon you. We need you. God, the, the end of all things, how would that help today? The passing away of heaven and earth. What would that even mean for me today? God, we, we need your grace. We need uh, the power of the Holy Spirit to show us, to show me um, as we study the word together. God, have your way uh, with each of us. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. Why shouldn't we be so anxious? It's a question we've been looking at for three weeks, a question that has been deeply personal for, I think, a lot of us. And there's, there's really, there's not a week that goes by that I, I, I mean, I don't hear from someone in our community that's just really struggling. It, it feels like bad news after bad news after bad news. It just feels like an anxious season won't end. It feels like many of us have been thrown into the deep end and we're just treading water trying not to drown. And you know what? Um, it doesn't have to be that way. Whether I have articulated this well or not, the Christian life is promised suffering, but it's certainly not promised defeat. We aren't a, a defeated creature. We are made alive in Christ and given literally the best hope and promise of the ages. So again, this isn't a study to make us feel good for four weeks and then we can go back to feeling miserable on Monday. Friends, this is God's word and the promise of God's word is that we, like, we really don't have to feel miserable all the time. The promise of God's word is to speak eternal truth into dry and weary souls. And so why shouldn't we be so anxious? I've given us six answers so far from God's word. Uh, one, because our life is more than things. Two, because we're more valuable than birds, because we can't add time to our life, because God has been revealed to us, because Christ will give rest to our weary souls, because there's only one thing that is necessary in this life. And let's read our passage this morning to find point seven. So Luke 21, I'll start in verse 34. But watch yourselves. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have 
strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Why shouldn't we be so anxious? Let me give you simply point seven, because Christ will return soon. Because Christ will return soon. Friends, that's literally what Jesus has been saying in all of chapter 21, verses 5 through 9, the temple will be destroyed. Verses 10 through 19, nations will rise against nation. Persecution will be our story. Verses 20 through 24, Jerusalem will be destroyed. And then look at verses 25 through 28, um, if you have a digital or physical Bible. So Luke 20, 21, starting in verse 25, it says, And there will be signs and sun and moon and stars and the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear, with foreboding for what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now these things being taken place, straighten up, raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. Christ will return soon. And at the end of verse 28 is the resounding answer to our anxiety. Straighten up. Raise your heads. Redemption is drawing near. What does redemption mean when we consider the return of Christ? It means that everything sin destroyed and is destroying, Christ will return and make everything new. Every person that hurt you, they'll have to answer to Christ Jesus. Like there's no getting away with sin before a holy God. Someone will pay for that, I promise you that. Every sickness will disappear at the appearance of Christ Jesus. Every broken thing around you and in you will be made new. If you are in Christ, if you believe in the gospel, if you've died to yourself and follow Jesus, the return of Christ is literally the greatest promise we can possibly hold on to. Redemption is coming. Like Jesus is not returning to fix things. Jesus is returning to demolish the old earth and the old heaven, and Jesus is returning to institute a new earth and a new heaven. It's Revelation 21, 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Cancer will be gone. Abuse will be gone. Drug addiction will be gone. Financial issues that you have will disappear. Relationship drama will end. No more tears, no more sadness, for the former things have passed away. Why shouldn't we be so anxious? Because Christ will return soon. Because redemption is drawing near. Like you and I keep looking around at all our problems. You and I keep meditating on the horizontal. And friends, the, the exhortation of the text is raise your tired and weary heads. Look up from your despair and see that Christ is coming soon. 2 Corinthians 4. I'll start in verse 16. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. The things that are unseen are eternal. 
Yeah, I know we get tired. And I, I, I know we feel miserable sometimes. But the Bible is clear. Straighten up. Raise your heads to the sky. The kingdom of God is near. Christ will return soon. That every affliction that causes anxiety in our life. It, it, it's just a light, momentary experience that's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Look to the things that are unseen. So church, everything that you're worrying about this morning, everything, dissolves away in light of eternity. Eyes set on the temporary will be hearts filled with worry. And eyes set on Christ will be hearts filled with peace. What are you going to choose? What will, I mean, what will I choose here at East River Park? I mean, will I keep my eyes on eternity? All right, you know, <laughs> this all sounds great. No more tears, no more suffering, no more drama, no more worry, no wrestling with our sin. Jesus is returning soon. He'll make all things new. Awesome. We get it. Christ is coming soon. But you know, still got to wait. Even if we desperately want it now, you got to wait. And if I know anything about myself and others, we're just not really great at that game have to deal with this failing body of ours right now. Have to deal with living in a broken world right now. It just makes me unsettled and, and leaves us feeling very restless. It's Romans 8, 22 through 23, for we know that the whole earth, even the whole creation, has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only creation, but us who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we eagerly wait for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You know, I sure wish Jesus would just give us something to do while we're waiting on him. Well, glad you brought that up, <laughs> because that's exactly what our passage is about this morning. And like last week, we, we have some extra points to fill in and that Lonely, empty space in your notes, so I want to answer this question from the Word. What should you do while you wait? That's extra. Um, if you're not a note taker, forget I said that. But if uh, you're a note taker, you can write down, what should you do while you wait? I'm going to give you two very simple primary things that we see in our passage. Letter A, be careful. Be careful. Look at verse 34 from this morning. It says, But watch yourselves, lest your heart be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and the cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. Watch yourself is to be careful. It's a warning of how we live our lives. And while the list is not exhaustive, it does specifically mention three things. The first we see is dissipation. And in one way, it means deception caused by riches. It is literally the story of a man deceived by his own wealth in Matthew 19. Verse 21, it says, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, 
Go sell what you possess and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Probably one of the most tragic responses in the New Testament. In one verse. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. That is the encouragement while we wait, even to be careful with the riches of this world that lead us astray, that we might be entertained into a life of sin, that we might be entertained to death. Do you all not think that is the strategy of the evil one in this world? In C.S. Lewis's book, if you've read it, Screwtape Letters, this fictional account of a demon uncle mentoring his demon nephew, Lewis writes, it is the ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. That's the formula. Be careful, friends. My heart, your heart, is deceitful above all things. Don't let your heart be weighed down with dissipation. Be careful to not let your heart chase after the things of this world. Be careful that Christ is coming soon, and will he find us with digital shopping carts filled with things that just aren't going to last? Will he find us with homes stacked full of toys and gadgets, and hobbies to distract our anxious hearts. Be careful. The second we see in the passage is drunkenness. It does go hand in hand with dissipation. That dissipation literally means dizzy head. It's a hangover. The dissipation can and, and often does lead to a life of, of drunkenness. So sure, yeah, the Bible does not condemn Drinking alcohol, I see personally, I see no evidence of that in scripture or from preachers that try to tell me it's just grape juice. I'm not buying it, and I will not condemn what the Bible does not condemn. We're not a teetotaling church. However, however, there are so many men and women and families that have been ruined by alcohol. Just because it's not condemned doesn't mean it's not dangerous. Just because it's not condemned doesn't mean that some of us shouldn't completely avoid it. Be careful, friends. Life is just so incredibly complicated and difficult. And how accessible and easy it is to numb the heart of yours with a substance how culturally accepted it is to drink away all of your worries as long as you're still somewhat of a functional human being. Be careful. There is a kind of consuming of alcohol and drugs that will keep your heart numbed until Christ returns. There is a kind of self-medication that will keep your eyes heavy, but certainly not on Christ. And the warning of the text is that Christ will return not to offer a warm and comforting hug, but for those that want to numb their heart until kingdom come, verse 34 says, that day will suddenly be like a trap. Be careful, friends. Thirdly, we see the cares of this life, and as you guessed it, it's literally the anxieties of this life. It's like it's listening to the word of God 
and being so consumed with the cares of this world that the, that the word is choked out of your life. Like, I, I mean, we preach the word every single Sunday here. Um, and we don't and aren't, like, we, we're not going to take Sundays off. Um, we, we don't have special music Sunday and no Bible. We don't, we don't have drama team Sunday and no Bible. It's not what we're going to do. Um, East River Park will be a church that teaches the Bible. And yet, even now, even this morning, you can be listening to the warnings of the Bible, and then your mind be elsewhere. I mean, what's for lunch? What needs to be done at the house? How are you, like, how are you going to handle that thing this week you've been stressing about? Be careful, friends. The cares of this world might cause the return of Christ to become like a trap to you. It's literally the parable that was referenced last week. Luke 8, verse 13. And the ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while, and in time of testing, fall away. Verse 14. And, and as for, for what fell among the thorns, well, they, hear those, they are those who hear, but as they go on their own way, they're, they're, they're choked out by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their, their fruit does not mature. Be careful. You want to know what Christians seem really good at? Christians seem really good at watching how other people live their lives. And I'm not saying we, we can't call sin, sin. We should. I'm not saying we can't confront a brother or sister in Christ that's just caught up in sin. We should. I'm not saying church discipline doesn't exist. It does. But you know, it just seems like we're really good at spending most of our time and our energy watching everyone else. We get so annoyed with people. I mean, why can't they get their life together? Why can't they follow Jesus like I'm following Jesus? Like, why can't they understand how foolish they're acting? You know, Christians, Christians seem really great at watching others. And yet, that's not what Jesus told us to do. Jesus didn't tell his disciples, hey guys, I'm about to be crucified. Hey, watch out for that sneaky disciple. Watch out for those aggressive Romans. Watch out for the bad guys. Jesus said, watch yourselves. The biggest threat in your Christian life is not from outsiders. It's you. I mean, you're, you are your own worst enemy. I am my own worst enemy. Christ will return soon. Quit watching everyone else. Watch yourself. Look in the mirror. See the plank in your own eye. Be careful. Secondly, what should you do while you wait? Let me give you B. Um, letter B, always pray. Always pray. Verse 34, or verse 35, it says, For it will come upon all who dwell on the face 
of the whole earth. Meaning that the coming of Christ is not just going to be in Judea. When Jesus returns, it will not be some hidden news for a small group. When Jesus returns, it will not be a Middle Eastern rumor. No, this will be a global event. And when Christ returns, he will arrive on all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. What should we do? Well, verse 36, it says, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Now, to be fair, that has some pretty immediate application for the disciples. If you have an ESV Bible, the subheading for the chapter 22, it says, I mean, it literally says the plot to kill Jesus. So even before we get to the scene in the garden, Jesus is telling them, stay awake and pray. What did they do? Did they listen? Luke 22, starting in verse 39. It says, and he came out and went, and as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When it came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation, and he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if, you have, if you're willing, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. His sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Verse 45, and when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. This, this idea of being, being awake, staying awake, is rooted in this idea of staying faithful. It is the good soil. Luke 8.15, as for that and the good soil, they are those who hearing the word, hold fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. To wait for the return of Christ is to stay faithful to Christ. And how is that done? Prayer. How far we've all missed it. Looking at our passage this morning, we are anxious about all of the wrong things. And if I could put this pretty gently, anxiety is not our greatest problem. It's that we're all tangled up in being anxious about the things that just don't matter. So if we want to worry about something this morning, well, let's worry about verse 35 and verse 36. Let's worry about having strength to escape all the dark things of this world. Let's be worried about staying faithful to Christ in the mountains and in the deepest of valleys. 2 verses, 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. 1 John 2, 28. And now little children abide in him, him Christ, abide in Christ, so that when he appears, he may have confidence and not shrinking from him in shame at his coming. When is the American church going to worry about that one? I mean, we care more about 
church attendance, and creating some attractive worship experience than we do the return of Christ. How often I care about how well a church event's going to go than the souls that are even going to attend that event. I mean, God forgive me. Friends, we, like, we're just anxious about all of the wrong things. And the fuel to stay faithful is prayer. Stay awake at all times and pray. That's the heart of verse 36. And does it not seem a little concerning that we only seem to pray for the temporary? We pray for miraculous healing. We should. We pray for better jobs. We should. We pray for the military. We should. We pray for physical safety. I do it for my children every morning before school. We should. But when is the last time we prayed to stay faithful to Christ, regardless of the circumstance? Because, I mean, just to be blunt, if a miraculous prayer, answer to your prayer, doesn't drive you to the miraculous work of Christ, you miss the point. Jesus didn't show up to heal the temporary. He arrived to make dead hearts alive. And should not the church prayer list be filled with like, please, just please pray for strength for me just to stay faithful. Regardless of what comes, regardless of the healing, regardless of the job situation, regardless of the drama that's around me, please just give me, give me strength to stay faithful. 1 Corinthians 6.13, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Guys, you want to be a man like that? Be a man of prayer. That's what will matter in the end. When, when this is all said and done, Like no one's going to give a rip about what you accomplish at your school or your workplace. No one's going to care about how much money you have in your bank account. We care so much about things that aren't going to matter in a hundred years. What will matter is if you've been faithful to Christ until the end. That's the legacy worth leaving. Christ will return soon. Be careful. Always pray. Several years ago, um, we dropped off our uh, minivan uh, to be to be fixed at the dealership, to say it had been a frustrating experience would be an understatement, and they'd fix one thing, uh, and then another thing would break. And it was just this exhausting cycle that never seemed to end, and I mean, if you've had car trouble um, before, you know like how stressful it can make everything else in your life. This time would be different. We were confident. Some, some of the management had changed, things would be different. So I drove to the dealership for our, our, our appointment, and I handed over the car key. We confirmed what, what they were going to do, what needed to be fixed, what they were looking at, and um, then I left. Hours uh, went by and no update. So I just figured, you know what, these people, they've been working hard on my vehicle, um, got a lot of things done, and um, later that afternoon, my phone began to buzz, and it was the dealership. And I was confident. I mean, it had been hours. I was confident they had an update for me. And I picked up the phone and he said, hello, is this Mr. Payne? I was like, yeah, that's me. Um, he said, well, did you, did you leave us a key for the van? I was like, man, what? Like, yeah, I, ha I handed you the key this morning. 
say, oh, okay, one moment, please. And there's much silence. And he said, Mr. Payne, are you sure? I was like, yeah. I, like, I, I, I watched you take this key and put it in the little basket next to the desk. And he says, well, can you, can you bring another key? And I was like, no, like, that's my only key. Like, I don't have another key to bring you. So not only had this van not been worked on, uh, like, they couldn't even unlock the vehicle. Key was lost forever. They did call another dealership to, to come and make a new one. And after a few weeks, uh, they finally got the van fixed, and we were uh, so th thrilled to bring it home and, and find some new transmission issues. Um, so... It, you know, I think most of us keep waiting for something to be f just fixed in our life. Just that one thing. Something, maybe even someone, to fix and unlock the peace that we so deeply crave in our heart. This, this exhausting cycle of mental health issues. We try one thing, find out it's not going to work. We try another thing, only to find out we're still a mess. Christ will return soon. That's for sure. We will be careful. We will always pray. But man, can we get some peace in our life in the space between? Isaiah 26, verse 3. It says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You and I are not called to stop our anxiousness. You can't. It's not our job. Our job is to keep our mind on the Lord, to trust in the Lord, and as the prophet declared, it's the Lord who will keep you in perfect peace. Praise God that Christ will return soon. But in the meantime, we're just going to trust in Christ. Don't be anxious. Trust in Christ Jesus. That's simply your summary point to end the series. Straighten up. Raise your heads. Redemption's drawing near. Let's pray together. God, we come before you and we pray that we would be encouraged. We would be encouraged. That, that, that Christ is coming soon. Redemption is drawing near. God, help us to keep our eyes focused on eternity. But God, help us to be men and women that wait according to your word, that we would be careful, that we would always pray. God, give us the strength to make it through another day. God, we're thankful for the challenge and the encouragement of your word. God, we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.